Hello everyone, it's Adasha Townsend of the Feast and Fashion Podcast. I'm a veteran food and beverage journalist who's worked with some of the most notable media outlets in the world. Feast and Fashion is the intersection of food and fashion, one beautiful plate or a glass at a time. With each episode, I will introduce you to fascinating, fabulous people in the culinary industry. Today, Chef Carlos Gaetan joins me. He is a culinary superstar with award-winning restaurants in his native home of Mexico City, as well as in Chicago. He is also considered an ambassador of sorts for Mexico as he cooks his contemporary Mexican style of cuisine all over the globe. I'm so excited to welcome you today, Chef Gaetan. Thank you, Ami. I'm really grateful for the invitation. We talked a little bit about your personal style. I love your glasses. You've got these funky red glasses. I always love seeing you in. Talk about, you know, kind of like your personal style. You've got this cool little leather jacket on. So talk about your personal style and kind of how it goes into your culinary sense. You know, I never even thought about it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just normal guy, you know, like I love jeans, standing shoes. I want to be comfortable all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And the red glasses, it's just, you know, it was a time for me to do a little change. And I guess, uh, you know, I went to the store and get some new glasses. It used to be just boring brown, you know, kind of. And then um, when I looked at red glasses, I'm like, those are interesting, you know, I might try it. And then I really love it. And it's kind of like your trademark me. now, right? The glasses. People see it the glasses. Is. Some people, in, you know, they stop me on the store and they're like, yeah, I recognize you because of the glasses. And like, yeah, <laughs> the one. <laughs> Do you get a lot of inquiries in the restaurant and Suko along the way when you're out and about, about people trying to figure out where to get those glasses from? Because like I said, I always remember those glasses and your shoes too. You always have really cool shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love tiny shoes. I mean, I got, I don't know. I got plenty, you know. uh, but the red glasses, yeah, you know, even people from Mexico and uh, they try to buy my glasses, my tennis shoes, and they're like, how can I sell my tennis shoes? And they're like, I got nothing else, you know, I mean, my tennis shoes in the middle of a, a dinner and like, no, I'm not going to sell my tennis shoes. They're like, well, we can trade it with my shoes and like, uh, I don't think it's a good idea. And the glasses, uh, you know, people have been asking me, like, well, Chef, when you're ready to get a new glasses, I would like to purchase those glasses from you. And like, That's funny. Okay. <laughs> How many shoes do you would you say you have in your collection? Maybe that's not that much, but maybe about 30. 30? 40. And those are, that's the usual style that you wear when you're cooking. Tennis shoes, or do you wear the usual chef shoes? No, I'm always using tennis shoes. Probably I got so many because I found that, that after maybe 30 days, your shoes, I mean, I got back problems and I always have to have, you know, very comfortable shoes all the time. And when mm -hmm. you're wearing for like 30 days, they're not comfortable anymore. So they're you so have worn to constantly, in. yeah, so you have to buy it for an extra. So this way, you know, you okay with your back problems. <laughs> Okay. I totally understand. I love shoes. So I totally get that. Let's talk about your culinary sense of style. Um, how you've merged your Mexican heritage with French cuisine. That is a unique combination. How did you come up with that? 
Well, I was, since I started working in the U.S., uh, I've been working in many French restaurants, uh, French cuisine. And when I went back to cook Mexican cuisine, I couldn't stop using French techniques and French mm -hmm. ingredients. And since then, I was like, it's the perfect combination. You know, it's something that I cook at home. And I should be, you know, sharing with people uh, about my, my passion, which is, you know, Mexican and modern, uh, modern uh, French cuisine. And it's just beautiful blends. You know, that always makes sense because one is uh, kind of spicy and the other one is rich, you know, and when you combine them, it's a perfect balance. Wow. Uh, so you, you mentioned that the, these are the flavors, the, the cuisines that you cook at home. What's on your plate at home and on your stove? I want to know what you're cooking at home. Yeah, you know, actually I have an interview and uh, it caught me by, you know, surprise and a question that it was like, what is the weirdest thing that you had in your freezer right now? And I'm like, oh, I got scamoles, you know, which is uh, X from the ends. And normally, you know, when I go to uh, different markets, uh, I go to the, uh, even Mexico, I bring ingredients with me, interesting ingredients that you cannot find in the U.S. And then I just cook with them, you know, I found with the ingredients. And obviously, you know, cooking with my daughter is one of the best things because cooking to me is about sharing with people that you love all the time. So that's why, you know, I love so many people here in the restaurant. <laughs> Everybody comes here, you know, and... and this is the dishes that I cook at home and just bring it over to, to the restaurant. So your restaurant, like I said, French merging the French and Mexican cuisines, it's a unique concept. So people coming here, they're coming expecting one thing or another, like a lot of French cuisine or a lot of Mexican cuisine. You've merged those two things so seamlessly, those two cuisines. So I want you to talk about some of your favorite dishes that are in the menu, some of the staples on the menu. Well, some of the staples is, let's say, something that people need to try is basically the mussels. Uh, mussels mm -hmm. is, uh, we cook the mussels with uh, saffron bleu blanc. Uh, you know, it's such a rich dish and you need mm -hmm. a bread to carry the sauce. And, and because it's really rich and it's something to, you know, balance it. So incorporate pico jalapenos, chorizo, and we use the pico juice from the jalapenos to, you know, mm -hmm. mix it up with the sauce. And make a very unique flavor. You know, my mouth is watery right now <laughs> because Same. you know, you basically you had to. Uh, in Mexico, we said you had to uh, chopear the bread. That means you know you need to suck the bread with the, bo the butter sauce and okay. just eat it like that, and you can stop eating it. It's so good. You know, it's one of the dishes that people must try. Another one is probably my mother's cochinita pibil. In Mexico, is two types of cochinita pibil. One comes from the Riviera Maya, which is the most popular that people know about it. And the other one is from my kind of, you know, side of the state of Guerrero. That one is, I'll tell you a little quick the story. You know, I, I told my mom that I was going to cook for them and my brothers. So to bring the family over, and I did cochinita pibil, like Yucatan style. And when they were eating, no one was excited about it. And I was like... I'm, I'm concerned. And I asked my mom, hey, mom, how's my cochinita pibil? And she turns around and she's like, my dear son, I will cook my cochinita pibil for you tomorrow. And like, oh. ouch. <laughs> Why didn't she like it? She wanted the traditional yeah. one. And when I tried her style, I was like, mom, you 
that's why you still number one to me. You know, you the you the one. You know, you you always gonna be teaching me so many things. You know, and and it's so different. The flavors, you know, it has more acids to it. Uh, more the garlic, onions, uh, cinnamon. Uh, what else? It has almonds. It makes so much difference. You know, I love cochinita pibil from Yucatan, but my mother's style is like. No one can beat that one. It plus they have we use pineapple vinegar that we make at home. Pineapple vinegar. Yes. What's the technique in making pineapple vinegar? It's very simple. It's just pineapple. Uh, we use uh, cane sugar. We call it piloncillo and water. That's it. And you let it rest for about a minimum of thirty days. Is that one of the few dishes that uh, you use? to use with um, the pineapple vinegar? What are some other uses for it? It's the only one. It's the only one so far that I use pineapple vinegar for it. So we got about maybe, I don't know, about, we go over 20 gallons a week of that pineapple wow. vinegar. Okay. Oh yes, we, we have to make a lot, of, a lot of pineapple vinegar. I love pineapple, that's my absolute favorite. So what are like the flavor profiles in pineapple vinegar? Is it like vinegary and then you taste a little, a little notes of pineapple in it? Describe it. Yeah, it's, it's just pineapple, it gets really sweet. You got some notes of the, the vinegar acids to it. Mm. So it's almost like orangey kind of flavor. When mm, you okay. eating the uh, pibil, you can try that. Like even you, it make your brain and make you think uh, you tasting oranges mm. and pineapple at the same time. Uh, yeah, okay. they're so good, you know. But but it's, it's the, the the profile flavors, you know, orangey pineapple. See, I never thought about that. I didn't know that vinegars could have such deep notes like that, like pineapple. Are there any other fruits that are used to make uh, vinegars? You can make vinegar with any kind of type of fruits. Actually, in uh, my other restaurant that I have in Xicaret, Mexico, uh, we make banana uh, vinegar. We use uh, peaches vinegar. We use any, any type of fruit that you can think about it. You can do vinegars with them. And the, okay. the flavors is really, 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 really good. That's news to me. That's news to me. And yes, uh, talk about your, your Mexican restaurant too. It's um, exactly where is it? It's in Playa del Carmen inside of the uh, Hotel Escaret, Mexico. It's been open. We opened for about three years already. We do fine dining over there. It's a tasting menu. It's about 10 courses. It's a tasting menu. And everybody can come in and just make a reservation and can come into to the place. So what's different about uh, your Mexican restaurant than Suco in Chicago? Yeah, what I was mentioning, uh, high is more high-end Mexican cuisine, uh, more uh, fine dining. And Suco is more home. You know, this is what I cook at home. This is when I go to visit my mother. This is what she cooks for me. You know, everything is on the table, big portions everything to share, uh, you know, to, to try the most that you can. This is different. So I, I love both styles. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you know, I want to bring home from Suco to, with Suco Guerrero to Chicago. And this is what we eat in, you know, most of the time in, in, in my hometown. 
speaking of which that you say you want to make this a comfort food restaurant, Suko is a comfort food restaurant, and it has that atmosphere of it too. And talk about the decor, the setting, all the furnitures and everything that's going on at the restaurant as far as the atmosphere when you're in there and how that came about. Well, you know, I have a really good friend in Mexico and he is by far the best Mexican restaurant designer that we have in, in the country. And I asked him, you know, I say, if, uh, would you like to be part of this project in Chicago? And, and he was more, more than happy. His name is Nacho. And then uh, I told him a little bit about it. You know, I wanna, I wanna bring my hometown. And he's like, let me go to your hometown. And so we spent some time in my hometown eating, go places that I used to, you know, go when I was a kid. And basically, he wants to honor my my town by we brought so many ingredients, so many. Uh, uh, let's say we went to my backyard and grabbed stones and plants and so many things and put in a box. So this is like a museum of Witsuko, my hometown. You know everything that you see, everything, everything I was made in Mexico by uh, wow. Mexican artisans, and then. Uh, it's just amazing, you know, every time that I walk in here, it's just like, oh, this is home. Oh, mm-hmm. what aspects, is there something in particular that you really had to have that you felt, if this isn't here, this does not feel like home? Yeah, it's uh, a bule, it's like a, a dry kind of type of uh, pumpkin, and it has a shape of, just think about the shape of those bottles of Coca-Cola. Okay. And then uh, it gets dry from the outside, so it's really hard. So what you do, you cut the top and you clean the the inside of the bottle. And inside, you normally used to carry water. Uh, you know, when you work in the fields, old times, mm-hmm. it's how they used to carry uh, cold water. And my grandpa used to have one. So we have my grandpa's uh, bullet right here. Uh, and as to me, you know, when I see it, and I remember, you know, my grandpa all the time carrying it and his shoulder all the time and drinking from that, it's like, this is, I mean, that's my favorite thing ever, you know, in Chicago right now. That's amazing. So how old is this water bottle? How, how old is it? And did you have to restore it? It might have to be around maybe something about 60 to 70 years old. Wow. Mm -hmm. So did you restore it or have to do anything to update or you said we're we're leaving this as is? Yeah, it's it's what it is, you know, and we don't have to do anything. I mean, it's it's in a good shape. That's awesome. Did you ever see him drinking from it? Oh yeah, even myself. You did? Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, wow, it doesn't get any better than that. It really doesn't. If your grandfather was here today, what do you think, what item, what dish on your menu do you think he would want to try? Maybe chicken liver, something that I don't have. One time I went to, went back to town. I mean, my, my grandpa, when he passed away, he was over a hundred years old and mm. he used to cook. And one time I told him, I said, grandpa, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you some uh, chicken livers for you. He used to love it. And we make chicken livers. And he's like, let me make you my chicken livers too. I know how to make chicken livers. And I know he know how to make chicken livers. <laughs> and he made his. And it was, 
I don't remember exactly how he did that, but they're really good. The other thing that my grandpa used to cook, it was gold in a pit, inside in a pit. So okay. he used to prepare the gold with um, dry chiles. And we used to put the gold to cook about maybe two o'clock in the morning. And it was it was cool because it was on the fields and you had to go, you know, with lamps and everything and spend some time, maybe, you know, I don't know, just spend time with them, uh, three, four hours just on the fields and sitting down under, you know, the, uh, you know, the moon and everything. It's all oh. good, you know, and used to go the next day about maybe 10, 10 o'clock in the morning and pull out the, the goat meat. It, it was like a goat barbacoa and it was, oh my God, so good. So how so long good. Was, since how my long grandpa, oh. oh, I used to cook for about maybe eight to 12 hours. But since oh, my grandpa so passed tender. away, I haven't eaten any goat like that. It was really, really tender. And the flavor is amazing because you encase everything in a pit, mm -hmm. everything on the ground, you know, oh, covered man. with my gay leaves. And it was just so good. <laughs> that sounds so good. So you the chilies and it was nice and spicy and probably so juicy and tender coming out of that ground. I can only imagine it. Oh yes. I mean, you know, my favorite favorite part the all the time it was when you pulling up the gold and cover it and you had to try. It was like, oh <laughs> I can just eat a whole bunch over here. I remember I remember stopping in uh, tortilleria places, buy a couple tortillas and make my own tacos right there. So there was no need for me to wait and to get home. <laughs> Speaking of tortillas, how do you prefer your tortillas? Corn tortillas. I love Why? corn tortillas. I, probably because I grew up eating corn tortillas since I was a kid. For us, I remember one time when my father came to the United States and then go back to my hometown and He's like, I got new style tortillas. I'm going to make it flour tortillas. He made flour tortillas. They were really good. But, you know, I guess my palate, it was more for like corn tortilla. Mm -hmm. And remember, I used to work with in the fields with my grandpa. And we used to plantings. We have plantings of, uh, uh, of this corn. So I know how to grow corn, you know, and use the corn and make all the process to make a tortilla. So... Probably is why I love so much corn. Mm -hmm. That's that's not a skill you hear about every day that people know how to grow their own no. corn. So that's awesome. That is awesome. Now talk about tales of Carl's Gatan, your restaurant, these stories about your grandfather and the goat in the ground. I mean, I absolutely love it. Grilling in the ground. And this restaurant is going to be intimate, only 12 seats, chef tasting experience and very elevated, and it's going to be a lot of storytelling as far as the, the dishes, like you just told me. So talk more about what that experience is going to be when it opens. Well, we are going to try to achieve to be the one most amazing Mexican restaurant in the world. Ooh. So by telling the stories, I found that very interesting. People really love to hear stories about each dish. And when you guys start behind an each dish, you, you put your soul and your heart and everything to that dish. So when you eat it, you tasting it, you became like part of the family, you know, you celebrate the flavors, you celebrate the way 
it smells the aromas everything you know so it's it's amazing so i think i got one of the most amazing restaurants that are gonna be in, in chicago and, and under the world you've already achieved one michelin star status before with your previous restaurant and has has any other mexican restaurant mm. achieved that since then yeah actually it's six six restaurants one in new york new york okay. One in Madrid, one in Barcelona, two in France, and one in Italy. Okay, but they're not you. So yeah. <laughs> you're going to get your star again. I, I, I cannot wait. I want you, you to talk about how um, the cocktail program plays into the Mexican flavors because your cocktails are not the usual cocktails that you uh, you will find at a Mexican restaurant. And I want you to talk about the inspiration of behind the cocktail program. You know, the cocktail program, obviously inspiration is Mexico. You know, everything that we do here is, is something about Mexico, Colonia Roma. You know, what ingredients you find in Colonia Roma. So we you know, we kind of find ingredients and when you drink it, it's just making you think, yeah, I'm in the Colonia Roma, you know, a very hyper kind of town in Mexico City, you know, or Mercado San Juan, very excited about the ingredients. Mm. Uh, you know, when you drink, it's like, wow, you know, so much magic and this, this, you know, so much fruits going on and then you get a grasshopper out of the blue, you know. It's Mercado San Juan, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's crazy good. How much influence do you have over the cocktail menu or you, do you just hand it over to your beverage people or do you influence it a lot because it has a lot to do with the food, of course? Normally, uh, let's say if, uh, 50 and 50, when I say 50 and 50, probably I'm giving myself uh, so much credit for it. And sometimes I just let them know that I, what exactly I'm looking for. Like, let's do a, let's say, you know, I try this big uh, cocktail in Mexico city and mm -hmm. the flavors that were, I kind of go over the flavors and then, uh, you know, go over and, and they had to recreate it for me, you know? Uh -huh. And sometimes they just share, you know, I want to build this cocktail this way with this profile flavors and like, please just, just do it. Let me try it. <laughs> Your cocktails are absolutely beautiful. They, they really are. They're sometimes they're so beautiful and just so well-constructed. I don't want to drink it. I just want to sit there and take photos of it and stare at it <laughs> because they're just so beautifully constructed with the garnishes and everything. So they do a really good job over there. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Andrew, he's my bar manager and he does an amazing job. He listens to you. I love that, that he listens to you all the time. He listens to your story. And sometimes when you're, I mean, you just go over, you know, every more, I mean, every day we got meetings mm -hmm. and you talk about, you like, you talk about a couple of things and he's listening. And That's he's good. like, Chef, I was here, you know, I heard from you today that you're this and that, and I want to create a cocktail for that. And like, well, and then it's awesome. <laughs> That's fun. That's a fun process. It's got to be. Finally, I just want to talk to you about modern Mexican cuisine and just how far it's evolved. It seems like it's constantly changing. People love Mexican cuisine. You know what? Mexican cuisine and. Uh, for many years, it was just a Mexican cuisine. It was sleeping, a sleeping beauty all this time. 
And no one wants to take this sleeping beauty to the next level. Like you need to wake up and do recreate in our gastronomy. We have so many ingredients in Mexico that we don't mm. know how to use. We used to have morel mushrooms. We used to have, uh, I mean, so much things that they use in Europe and like, we don't use those things. We do not know, you know, that we had that so much in Mexico and like, come on, wake up, let's, <laughs> let's start working on those. And now you go to Mercado San Juan and you see if, uh, any type of morels, chanterelles, king mm. mushrooms, and everything that grows in Mexico. You know, we have eggplants. Like, you don't hear eggplant in the Mexican cuisine. But mm -hmm. you go many different places, and you find eggplants. You have basil. You have so many things that we don't use. And, like, come on, let's start using it. You know, let's incorporate to, to our traditional, you know. And... Uh, we're doing a revolution of the Mexican gastronomy, you know, and uh, one of them that started this revolution in the United States. And if you go to Mexico, you're going to find a lot of people doing my style now, you know, and it's good to keep people making traditional cuisine. It's good because we always want to have that in mind and we want kids to learn our traditional Mexican cuisine. And then they can explode, you know, and do something different than what I'm doing, you know? Well, you're being really humble, but you're sort of an ambassador of Mexican cuisine, not just in the United States, but throughout the world. Like you said, people are using a lot of your techniques in Mexico now and other places. So talk about that because you're, you're being a little humble about your influence. Yeah. So... It is true. I, I do travel a lot. I, I do represent Mexico through the world. You know, I've been cooking for so many different people in other countries, you know, South Africa, in Europe, and uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, uh, travel wow. out there. Uh, yeah, so I go to Central America, you know, representing Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then uh, sometimes, you know, you don't, you're too busy doing so many things and you don't see yourself that you become a role model for other kids. And then uh, until you start seeing your messages, hey, chef, uh, you know, you're an inspiration for me. I, I didn't know what to do with my life, but when I saw your story, I want to be a chef. And they told you so many things, you know, and, and one of the things that uh, we've been doing, we want to try to work with kids, uh, you know, I call them kids, you know, my chefs, uh, young chefs, you know, not to become just like me because that's the first thing that they told you is like, when I grow up, I want to be like you. And I was like, why you dream so little? You know, I can teach you to get here what I, you know, where I am right now, but your goal is should be bigger. You know, if I, you have to do homework just the way that I did. I can teach you exactly how to get out here but now, after you get uh, the level that I am right now, you have to do your homework and get better than me because that's what we need. We need to help up kids to grow and they need to help the other kids that are coming be behind them. So it's, it's something that we've been doing, working with a lot of young chefs here in Mexico and have, I have a program, you know, that we got, we rotate uh, students every three months, three students and with the same, you know, techniques and math that uh, 
and the same heart, you know, to everyone. We have to teach you, but you're going to be teaching as well. That is fantastic. Look at you. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Chef Gatan. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. I know you're super busy. So for you to take out time to just chat with little old me for Feast and Fashion, that is so thank awesome. You. I appreciate it. Well, it's an honor. Thank you for the invitation again and looking forward to see you soon. Well, that does it for this episode. I want to thank my guest, Chef Carlos Gaetan, again for joining me. We're back next Friday with another outstanding, talented, and of course, stylish culinary personality you don't want to miss. Thank you so much for listening to Feast and Fashion on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm your host, Adasha Townsend. Meet me back here next Friday.